Come on, isn't God so amazing? Hey, welcome to Redemption. If you're new here, my name is Byron. Along with my wife, Ashley, we get the great privilege and honor to serve as the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. For all those who are new and all those who are watching online, welcome to Redemption. We exist to help you experience life change through Jesus. There we go. Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to continue our study through the book of Colossians that we are calling Everyday Saints, learning how to live out our new identity in Christ, not just on Sunday, but in the everyday stuff of life. And the big idea, the subject today we're going to talk about is relationships. The title for today's message is The Secret to Healthy Relationships. Now, Show of hands, how many of you want to be in terrible relationships? Everybody's hand up. Nope, 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 nope. Oh, okay, okay. How many of you want to be in healthy relationships? You want to have healthy relationships. As a pastor, here's what I've discovered is that everybody wants to have healthy relationships, but not everybody has healthy relationships. How many of you are excited to hear a sermon on healthy relationships? Raise your hand. How many of you know somebody who needs to hear the sermon on healthy relationships? How many of you know that somebody is you? Amen, amen, amen. Well, luckily the Bible actually teaches us how to have healthy relationships. And when we look at society and culture, what we notice is that not many people actually have healthy relationships. One survey that I read during prep actually said that 65% of Americans report being very lonely in life. Another report that I read said the average American only has one personal friend. We might have thousands of people on Facebook or, or thousands of people who double tap our face on Instagram, but yet when it comes to the real issues of life, very few of us actually have someone that we can turn to, we can talk to, and who's there and who cares for us when it matters most. People want healthy relationships, but what I've discovered is that not many people actually have healthy relationships. And today actually marks um, the two-year anniversary of two weeks to flatten the curve. Okay, do you remember that thing called COVID? You ever heard of that? Remember that? And here's what happened during COVID. People became more isolated, they became more separated, and they became more lonely. I believe that COVID is actually just gasoline on a fire that was already there. So people who were lonely before COVID were increasingly lonely. It doesn't just show us what was happening. It reveals what was already happening inside of us. And people began to social distance and people began to quarantine and people became isolated. And do you know this, that in prison, one of the harshest punishments they can give you is solitary confinement. Why? Because as human beings, we are relational creatures. We desire relationship, we want relationship, we were created to be in relationship, and yet for many of us, our relationships are struggled and they are strained, and more people now than ever before are lonely. When you look at the divorce rates over the last two years, one research statistic that I saw is from 2019 to 2021, divorce lawyers had an increase of 30% of people filing papers. Whenever we look at the statistics on uh, youth, what we notice is that drug addiction, we see sexually transmitted diseases, risky behavior, and the number one cause of death is suicide in the lives of, of teenagers. We're, we're seeing small children with anxiety and with depression. 
What does that say? That says that there is, there is something fundamentally broken within our society when it comes to this subject of relationships. Everybody wants healthy relationships, yet very few people actually have healthy relationships. And at the very end of the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul, he turns his attention away from just theology and he gets into the practicality of how the gospel informs and transforms and changes our lives. And at the end of the book of Colossians, when he's writing this letter to a young church that is growing, but at the same time is experiencing growing pains, do you know what's on the Apostle Paul's mind? Relationships. And as a pastor, you know what's on my mind and my heart for us as a church here? It's relationships. My desire is that no one in this church would ever be lonely. But here's my fear, is that the larger our church gets, I mean, just look around. I mean, there's not even enough chairs for all of you. You've got people standing in the back. First service packed, second service packed. We're gonna need a bigger building, amen? amen? And my fear is this, is that the larger our church gets, the easier it is for people in our church to be lonely. That the more visible our church becomes, the more visible we become in our representation within the community, our, our reputation, the more our bumper stickers there are on the back of a car. I saw one driving down I-10 the other day going from Beaumont to Vider. I was like, hey, there's somebody I go to church with right now because our church is becoming increasingly visible. As we grow, the visibility grows. But here's my fear is that, that there will be people who feel invisible in a very visible church. That's not my heart. My heart is like Paul's heart. As a pastor, here's what I worry about. Here's what keeps me awake at night. Here's what I pray about. Here's why we tirelessly, as a staff and team, work so hard during the week is to help people feel connected, connected to God and also connected to one another. Because here's what we know as a church is that healthy relationships make the good times twice as good and the bad times half as bad. Can anyone agree with me? Good times or good relationships make the good times twice as good. Somebody to celebrate, somebody to throw a party with, go hang out on Friday nights, go Sunday after church, eat some good food. When things go good, it's great to have people around you to laugh with, to celebrate with, to be able to eat, pray, love with, amen? Like, it's so good to have good relationships during the good times, but it's also good to have good relationships in the bad times. When life is hard, it's easier when you have people who are in your corner. The only thing worse than suffering in life is having to suffer alone. Whenever you get that phone call that your kids have you know, dropped out of college and they're moving back home, you need somebody to have a conversation with that's gonna bless you, encourage you. When you go to the doctor and you get a bad report, you need people in your life who are gonna support you and they're gonna pray over you. They're gonna weep tears with you as you weep and you cry. Listen, I can go through hard times knowing that I have good friends. I can go through hell knowing that I'm gonna come home and my wife is gonna be there to be able to support me. I can have the worst day at work. My, my boss can be a jerk sometimes. I'm the boss. <laughs> but it feels good to be able to go home and hear my, my daughters go, daddy, 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 run up and give me a, a big hug. Why? Because there's healthy relationships that help me get through the bad times. I can pay $5 for gasoline. Ugh. 
And I can go to my small group and complain about it. And they're not going to judge me one minute because good friends and healthy relationships make the good times twice as good. And the hard times and the bad times, well, they, they, they make them half as bad as they were. And in our church, there's three to 400 people who call Redemption home. And on any given day, here's what we see. There's some people who are going through some really good times. Praise the Lord for those who are going through some good times. Pray for us, because the rest of us, we have some hard times right now. But there's others who are going through hard times, and that's why we need to come together and be together, so that way we can support one another through maintaining healthy relationships as a church. There's a lot of reasons why people pick a church. Some of you, you come to this church because of the preaching. Thank you. I think I do a pretty good job myself. Some of you come due to the worship. Let's give it a shout out to the worship team. Man, aren't they so incredible? Some of you come because of the kids' ministry. Oh, we love redemption kids at this church. Some of you come due to the location, or some of you come due to Facebook and social media and the different things that you've seen online. And there's a lot of reasons why people pick a church, but there's one reason why people stick at a church. You know what that reason is? It's the relationships that they develop along the way. Because here's what everybody wants. Everybody wants healthy relationships. I've never met somebody who's like, you know, I'm really looking forward to getting married, but you know what I can't wait? Can't wait to get divorced. Nobody said that. I've never heard somebody say like, I can't wait to get this job. It's going to be terrible. No, nobody says that. Everybody goes in wanting healthy relationships, but yet very few people actually have healthy relationships. How many of you want to have Terrible relationship. No, you, how many want to have healthy relationships in your life? Well, great. I'm so glad you're here today. You know what's crazy? That's what I'm preaching about. So you came to the right place if you want to have healthy relationships. If you don't want to have healthy relationships, then you can leave. But the rest of us, we need to have some healthy relationships in our life. And so the Apostle Paul, as he's winding down this great book of Colossians, next week is the final week. He's really worried about the relationships, and he's going to tell us uh, four different things about relationships, four different questions when it comes to relationships. If you want to have healthy relationships, then what you need to do is you need to start where Paul starts. You need to begin where the Bible begins, and the first question on developing healthy relationships is this. How is your relationship with God? You got to begin where the Bible begins. Here's what Paul says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The most important relationship that you will ever have in your life is first and foremost, a healthy relationship with God. That's the, that what matters most. No matter what I say for the rest of the sermon, if you miss this point, then you miss everything that I'm going to say next. It all starts and it all begins with you having a healthy relationship with God. Not just raising your hand and saying to somebody at work that you have a personal relationship with God, because it's one thing to have a personal relationship. It's another thing to have a healthy relationship with somebody. Like you can know somebody and that relationship doesn't mean that it's actually healthy. Just because you know someone doesn't mean it's actually a good relationship. It's about having a healthy relationship with God. And how do we relate with God? The number one way that God throughout the Bible has revealed himself to us is what? Is as a father. That's why Paul says right here, giving thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ and God our 
father. If you forget everything that I say, just remember this, that God is a father, that he loves you with the love and the affection that a father is to have towards his children. He cares for you. He is there for you. He listens to your prayers. He protects you. He provides for you. He makes a way for you. He created you. He knows you and he loves you. Just know this, God is a father. It all starts right here with the father heart of God. God is a father. And here's why this is so important. Because as human beings, what do we do? So often, the relationships that we develop later in life are based upon the way we see our parents live their lives. Whether good or bad. Whether whether good or bad, we oftentimes repeat the patterns that our parents have set before us. You're like, my granddad did this, my dad did this. Oh my God, now I'm doing this. How many of you ever said, I am just like my mother? Any parents like that? You're like, oh my God, I am just like my mom. And then immediately you call her therapist, right? (laughs) Why is that? Because so many times what we do, we repeat the patterns that our parents have set before us, good or bad. But we still do it. I do it. Like how many of you, you're like, don't make me count to three. One, two, Two and a half, boy, you don't make me do it. Two and three quarters, just wait till you're, just wait till you're about, two and eight, two and ten eights, what else, not even a number, all right? (laughs) Two and nine tenths, I'm this close, I'm this close. You ever, you ever, you ever, you ever do that? You're laughing, because I know it's true, all right? And it doesn't work, but yet we do it, why? Because our parents, they did it to us, and we repeat that. Repeat that same pattern. So many times, dating relationships, you end up dating somebody, whether good or bad, because there has been a pattern that has been set before you, because you think this is the love that you deserve based upon the way that your parents treated you. And then you go into a marriage, and what do you do? You set up and you live and you do the same patterns that your parents have set before you, good or bad. Here's what I want you to know, is that God is a father, And the more time you spend with your father in heaven, the more you are going to be able to have healthy relationships here on earth. Because our love of our father is the foundation in which every other relationship flows. Here's how Jesus says it. Jesus says it like this. Seek first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added unto you. So if you want to have healthy relationships, first develop a healthy relationship with your father. Seek first the kingdom of God. Another way to say it is this. Put God in his right place and everything else in your life will fall into place. If you put God in the right place, that he is number one, he is supreme, he is preeminent above all things, he is the number one most foremost priority in my life, I'm going to seek God first and foremost, I'm going to put God in the right place, and when I put God in the right place, everything else in my life is going to fall into place. Do you want to have a healthy relationship with your spouse? Let me tell you how. Put God first in your marriage. Do you want to have a healthy relationship when it comes to your kids? Here's what you do. 
Put God first in your home. Because when God is your father and you parent the way that father God parents you, you're going to be more loving and attentive when it comes to your kids, when it comes to your job, when it comes to work. You're going to be able to love people with the love that God has given unto you. And those of you who are single and you're hearing this and he's talking a lot about marriage and kids, and you think this has absolutely nothing to do with me. No, it has everything to do with you because you young ladies, you're wanting to get into a relationship. Listen, your heart should be so wrapped up into the heart of your father that a good man's got to go to your dad to be able to get your hand. Yeah. Say, boy, you want to date me? You got to talk to my dad. <laughs> here's, here's what we see is this, is that, is that when God's in the right place, everything falls into place. When God comes first, the rest will be blessed in your life. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Everything flows from us developing a healthy relationship with God as our Father. This is actually what Paul is getting at. It's going all the way back to the created order. It's going back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis 1, whenever God created the heavens and the earth, Here's what you need to know is that we were created to live in community. That's why there is an inner longing and a desire inside of all of you to have healthy relationships because God made you for relationships. Say, how do you know? Well, here's what the Bible says, that God made us in his image and likeness. Who is God? God is a trinity. One God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and they are in mutual relationship with one another. And out of that relationship, God creates mankind to be and to share in relationship with him. And out of all of creation, when God looked at man, there's only one thing he said, it is not good for man to be alone. And so he created Eve to be a helper fit for him, and he brings him together in marriage. And then God steps back and says, oh, that is good. So God made Adam and Eve in his image, that's first and foremost to have a relationship with God. And then afterwards, he, he made Adam and Eve, brought them together in marriage, that's relationship with spouse. And then following that, he says, be fruitful and multiply. What is that? Relationship with kids. And then next we're gonna see, he gives them dominion and he tells them to work the land, to subdue it and to fulfill it. What is that? That is work. That's exactly the outline that Paul's gonna give us today. He's gonna talk about God. He's gonna talk about spouse. He's gonna talk about kids. And he's gonna talk about your job. Why? Because this is the way that God has created healthy relationships to work. The moment you get everything out of order is the moment your life will begin to fall out of order. Right? I mean, just think about it. I mean, for the guys, for those of you who are married with, with, with children, right, fathers, what, how does it feel whenever your wife puts the kids above you? All of a sudden, there's jealousy in the home, is there not? And for you ladies, what, how do you feel whenever, whenever your husband puts his work above the kids? All of a sudden, there's, there's a problem, there's a fight. Why? Because now your life is out of order. And what happens when a husband and wife put the kids above God and they stop going to church? All of a sudden, their life falls out of order because this is the way that God has created. It's just like gravity. You can deny it, you can resist it, you can fight against it, but if you don't obey it, you'll get crushed. It's the same way that God created, it's in the order. Put God first in everything that you do, and when God comes first, the rest will be blessed in your life. You wanna have a healthy marriage? Put God first in your marriage. You wanna have a healthy relationship with your kiddos? Put God first when it comes to your family. If you wanna have good relationships at work, put God first in your life and the rest in your life will be blessed. So question is, how do we put God first in our life? 
Well, Paul actually gives us a couple of different ways that we could do it. Number one, he says this, read your Bible daily. Look what he says. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you. And then I love that he adds this. He says, richly. You should be so rich in God's word that whenever life's problems come up and you have to make a withdrawal, you don't overdraft. God wants you to be rich in his word that you would be so filled with God's word, you'd just be making it rain everywhere you go. You would just be rich in the word of God because here's what I know is that when life comes up, you shouldn't have to go and just run and say, oh, I need a word, I need a word. No, you should have the word in your heart. So when that withdrawal comes, you say, I got that. I got it for this moment. You're ready for it. But my fear is that instead of living in the prosperity of the word of God, many people are living in the poverty when it comes to the word of God. I'm not talking about riches. I'm talking about being rich in the word. And so whenever problems come up, you're overdrafted in your soul because you haven't been making deposits from the word of God in your life. God wants you to, the word to dwell richly inside of you. Is God's word rich inside of you? Is it the, is it the, the treasure that you seek? Do you spend time in God's word daily? That's how you do it. You make more deposits than you do withdrawals. Every morning, you should be making a deposit in your heart of the word of God. Not just getting a Bible verse because someone posted it on Instagram and you scroll past it for 0.5 seconds. Not just listening to me preach. Not just getting the verse of the day on your app go across your screen as a notification because you know you just swipe and ignore those things anyway. You don't, you don't want to just get your word from a book or from a podcast or from a preacher. You want to get your word from the source itself. Get your word from God himself. Spend time daily in God's word so you can be rich in the word of God. The second thing is this, is be in a small group weekly. Not just like, oh yeah, I'll bring the spaghetti and then you don't show up. No, be in a small group weekly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. How do we teach one another? How do we admonish one another? How do we encourage one another in all, in all wisdom? It happens in small groups. Listen, I can preach until I am blue in the face, but you know what? Y'all are gonna forget this sermon on Tuesday morning. <laughs> yeah, most of it, but, but, do you even remember what I preached about three weeks ago? What was week three's sermon title? Do you even know? You're like, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Y'all, y'all trying to pull up on Spotify to find it real quick. But here's what I do know is that when we get in a small group of believers and we sit around one another, there is wisdom, there is encouragement, there is admonishment, and there is teaching that happens in those groups. We gather and we're not just eating meals and praying for one another. We are studying God's word together. It's about living in community and relationships and harmony and and, and unity with one another, doing life together. You cannot have real community in the lobby trying to eat a donut and work through the lobby with there's 78 million people. You're like walking through like this. Oh, oh, hi, good to see you. Hi, good to see you. That's not real genuine relationship. But if you want to do it, it has to come through relationship in small groups with one another to teach and to admonish and to get all wisdom. Listen, you have wisdom that I am lacking. And then I have wisdom that, that you need. You've been through a situation that I'm going through right now and you can help me walk through it because you've been through it before. And that all happens when there is relationship. And so go to your small group weekly. Number three, worship 
passionately with your church. I love that he says this. He says, he says singing psalms, that's, that's scripture, hymns. That's, he walks with me in the garden. No, that's not what it's talking about. You know that song, he walks with me through the garden? That's my, my Mimi's favorite song. It's hymns. It's not just songs that were written in like, you know, three or 500 years ago, because in three or 500 years ago, our great-great-grandchildren probably be seeing oceans as hymns, all right? But he's talking about singing songs that people have written, beautiful music that people have used their talents and gifts to be able to do. And then he says this, spiritual songs. You say, well, what does that mean, spiritual songs? Does that just mean not secular music, but spiritual music? No, it actually is a, the Greek word there is, is pneuma, which means it is a spirit-inspired utterance of singing that we do. It's a spontaneous moment of rejoicing. It is an emotional appeal to the heavens by the spirit of God that is overwhelming and overflowing inside of you. You ever wonder why Redemption Church worships so passionately? It's because we are passionate about the God that we worship. Listen, God doesn't need your worship. Some of y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. God doesn't need your worship. It's not as if when you cease to worship God, he diminishes in his power. It's not like God's in heaven like Tinkerbell. They don't believe me. I'm losing my magic. (laughs) Get them to believe, Jesus. Get them to believe so I can get my magic back. That's not, God is God whether you worship him or not. God is still the alpha. He is still the omega. He is still the first, still the last. He is still the beginning and the end and the lion and the lamb. God is God whether you worship God. God doesn't need your worship. You need it. You need to worship God. And when you don't feel like worshiping him, that's when you need it the most. You need it because worship takes our eyes off of ourselves and puts them back on our Savior. Worship takes our eyes off our situation and puts them on God who can only do whatever he does to be able to deliver us through that. And so you wonder at Redemption Church, you say, man, they sure seem like a bunch of emotional worshipers. Let's see them on the front row. The whole first three rows, they got their hands raised, jumping up and down. They look like crazy people. You know why? Because we are crazy. We're crazy for Jesus. They look weird. Guess what? We're a weird church. We're weird people. The Bible calls us peculiar people. Some of y'all weird, and I like it. Because <laughs> when I think about what Jesus has done for me, I can't help but be emotional. When I think about my Savior, 20 years old, strung out on drugs, and he, his hand reached down from heaven into my heart and he picked me up and he delivered me and he set me free. God, I can't help it. I can't help but think about what my Jesus has done for me. I sat in jail for six months and all I had was this Bible and my Nana gave it to me. My SO number is on the front page. I preach out of it every single week to remind me what my Jesus has done for me. I'm sorry if I get passionate when I worship. I remember eight years of infertility. Me and Ashley praying and praying, God, give us a baby. And we went to a CMN conference and they prayed over my wife and they said, when you plant that church, God's going to give you a baby. And the week before our church opened, Ashley was pregnant. That's what my God does. So when I see this, I can't help but worship. I will dance. I will sing. I'm going to raise my hands. I will rejoice. I'm going to get thankful because that's what my God did. So if you want to stand in the back with your arms folded like this, be my guest. But for the rest of us, here's what we're going to do. We're going to be thankful to God because that's the God I serve. Number four, share your faith constantly. 
Research has shown the people who grow the fastest in their faith are the people who share it with the most people. Why? Because just like any other relationship, whenever you start dating, you're like, this is my boyfriend. This is my girlfriend. You take pictures, post them on your Instagram. Y'all break up. You delete all the pictures. (laughs) I know because I see it. (laughs) Y'all think I don't have social media. And some of y'all, you need to know, I actually got a Twitter and never post, but I do, I do stalk y'all. So <laughs> I say, that, that guy needs to be in a small group, all right? I see what he be tweeting. It's bad. <laughs> you get married, what do you do? You, 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 you don't take your wedding ring off when you go to the grocery store, do you? No, you keep it on. Why? Because you want as many people to know about the love that you have. So, so it's the same thing when it comes to your relationship with God. How do relationships grow? Relationships grow by showing each other off. And so you show off the God that you love. You share your faith with other people. If you want to grow in your faith, share your faith constantly. And here's what happens as you do this. As you put God in his right place, everything in your life begins to fall into place. Seek first the kingdom of God, and the rest will be added unto you. So the first question is, how is your relationship with God? At the end of the message, I'm going to give you an opportunity to put God first in your life and to make it right with him. But second, the second question is this, how is your relationship with your spouse? We're talking about, God, I got so excited, I threw my Bible. (laughs) And it ain't as bad as the sermon earlier where I tore my Bible up, all right? (laughs) Y'all remember that one? You remember one of my sermons, there you go. (laughs) Here's how... You develop a relationship with your spouse. You ready? Verse eight, wives, what are you gonna do? When you go home, this is what you're gonna do. All the women said the word. Yeah, I didn't say that very very enthusiastically, did (laughs) y'all? You're like, the pastor said the S word. I say other words too, but you know, like the F word, forgive each other. (laughs) What do you do, wives? Submit to your, it's like, no, I will not do that. No, I am an I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D. I am an independent woman. I will not submit. You wonder why relationships are failing. Well, it's because we don't do things God's way. The the way the world works versus the way the, the church works is just a little bit different. It's why it's called a secret to healthy relationships. Not many people do it because it's a secret, and that's why they don't know, and that's why relationships are struggling. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord because it is fitting into the Lord. The fellows, you're not off the hook. Look what it says. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Here's what you need to understand. Your marriage is not about you. It's not about your wants and your needs and your desires. It's not about you getting your way. You're getting your satisfaction. It's not what marriage is about. Because if you go into marriage thinking, this person's going to fulfill me. This person's going to satisfy me. This person is going to help me discover my true identity. This person is going to complete me. <laughs> you know what? The other person is frustrated because they've been thinking the same thing that you are going to do that for them. Marriage is not about you. Here's what marriage is about. It is a prophetic image of Jesus' love 
for the church. And so if you make marriage about you and it's no longer about God, then your marriage is not actually fulfilling the purpose nor the meaning of marriage. That's why you're frustrated in that. And that's why Paul is able to say, wives, submit to your husbands for this is fitting unto the Lord. And he says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. How does Jesus love us? He forgives us. He lays down his life for us. He sacrifices for us. Okay, so another translation, he says this. He says, husbands, lay down your lives like Jesus has laid down his life for the church. So here's two ways you can look at it. The secret to a healthy marriage with your spouse, you ready, you ready, is submission and sacrifice. And here's the reason why we hate those words. You know why? We have a hard time submitting to our husbands because as Americans, we have a hard time submitting to God. Men, you have a hard time sacrificing for your wife because you're unwilling to sacrifice for God. And so if you can't submit and sacrifice to God, how in the world are you going to know how to submit and sacrifice to your spouse? This is why relationships are so broken in our society. Listen to me. I'm here to dispel some marriage myths. You ready? Here's what I want you to know. Marriage isn't hard. You heard it? You say, marriage is hard. Listen. Marriage is not hard. Humility is hard. People say, oh, marriage is so hard. Marriage is the most difficult thing you'll ever do in your life. Marriage is so tough. Marriage is so difficult. Oh, it's the hardest thing. Marriage is so hard. I meet people who say marriage is not hard. God made marriage. That's why it says he who finds a wife finds a hard thing. <laughs> Brother right there getting some points. That's, hey, men, that's why you need to know your Bible, all right? The rest of the guys just got hit in the, the, the rib cage right there. Say the word, say the word, it's good, right? It's good, we're good, we're good. My brother right here is like, it's a good thing. Elsewhere it says, hey, uh, rejoice in the wife of youth and your fountain will be blessed. Hey, oh. <laughs> Glory, hallelujah. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Y'all need to read your Bible more, all right. Marriage is not hard. God made marriage. He said it is very good. You know what the problem with marriage is? I sit down with, with couples when they do marriage counseling. I bring them in. I say, come on, sit on. And they're like, oh, it's just hard, pastor. I say, listen, you have a great marriage. They're like, really? I said, yes, there's only two problems. You and you. <laughs> Outside of that, y'all got a great marriage. It's just, it's just you and you. You know why? Marriage is great. You suck. <laughs> Marriage is awesome. You know what's hard? Humility is hard. That's what's difficult about marriage. It's putting the needs of the other person before your own. Here's how you make a healthy marriage. God first, spouse second. Put God first and then put your spouse second. Put their wants, their needs, their blessings before your own and watch how God will honor that marriage. That's why it says this is fitting to the Lord. God first, spouse second. Listen, marriage is not hard. Submission and sacrifice are hard. But you have to determine what level of hard you're willing to endure. Because submission is hard, sacrifice is hard, but so is adultery. So is divorce. So is sleeping on the couch. So is the cold shoulder. So is not talking to each other for weeks on end at a time. You know what's hard? It's picking your kids up from a Chick-fil-A parking lot because you're doing an exchange swap because you couldn't figure out how to make it work. That's hard. 
Divorce is hard. Separation is hard. Single parenting is hard. Co-parenting is hard. Getting a divorce and then having to start over and dating in your 30s, that's hard. You have to figure out what level of hard you're willing to endure. Submission is hard. Sacrifice is hard. Humility is hard. You got to choose your hard. Submission, sacrifice. There's two types of people and there's, there's three types of marriages. Two types of people is there's selfish people and there's humble people. But they form three different types of marriages. The first type of marriage, if you get two selfish people in a marriage together, you know what that is? That's toxic. Get two selfish people, they're just fighting, they're just walking all over. It is like war every single day from the moment they wake up. Oh, the sky's blue. No, it's not, it's periwinkle. (laughs) They're just fighting all of the time, right? Can't get along with anything. And then eventually, they get so frustrated with each other, the marriage begins to fall apart. Because one refuses to submit, one refuses to sacrifice. What happens if you get a selfish person and a humble person together? Oh, that is in the makings of an abusive relationship. That's narcissist. That's gaslighting. That's abuse. Because one person's always taking. The other person's just being stolen from. God doesn't want two selfish people together. He doesn't want a humble person with a selfish person. You know, here, here's what God wants. God wants two humble people in relationship with one another. I mean, how, how is it just to be able to say, wake up in the morning and say, baby, let's go before the Lord today and let's pray. How can I bless you today? How can I serve you today? How can I help you today? How can I be a support? What do I do that gets on your nerves? True story. True story. Over vacation, me and Ashley, we went through the whole big, long married list. I said, what do I do that gets on your nerves? And I think we had to take a break. That thing was so long. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, like, I want, this is what I want to do. I want to honor God and I want to honor my wife. And when I put God first and my spouse second, it creates a beautiful, healthy relationship. Listen, in our home, we don't even use the word submit. We don't have to. Because I have, we have 14 years of God developing and worshiping and, uh, and working in my life. And so I can only think maybe on a handful of occasions. And most of the time, it's just Ashley saying, hey, you're not sacrificing for the family. You're putting other things before the wife and the kids. Like, we got to get our life in order. And so if you want, if you're looking for, if you say, we need to submit, we need to submit. You know what? Be a man who's willing to sacrifice first. And I have never met a woman who's willing, who's not willing to submit for a man who lays down his life for his bride. I just find it natural. And this is the way that God intends for, for this to be. And so while I'm going ahead, and I'm already over time, so let's just keep going. While, while you've heard the saying that marriage, Christian marriages are no different than worldly marriages, right? I'm here to tell you that that is a lie straight from the pits of hell. And here's why it's a lie. It's a lie because, number one, it's trying to discourage young singles from actually pursuing marriage. And then number two, it discourages non-believers from coming to the church to get help for their marriage. And if Satan can keep young people from getting married and non-believers from staying married, he's won the war. It's a lie straight from the pits of hell. The truth is, hands down, Christian marriages are the best marriages in our society. Here's what statistics shows. And all those who are on Twitter, listen, you can have your own opinions, but you cannot have your own facts. Truth is, 70% of churchgoers conservative evangelical churchgoers. 
Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, praying, Bible church-going folk. 70% of churchgoers who attend every week are extremely happy when they're married, in their marriage, rather than 59% who do not. The highest group of marital satisfaction were Christian women whose husbands attend church weekly. Couples that attend church together are 35% less likely to divorce than couples who do not. So that brings the divorce rate down to about 15 to 20% in the church. And here's the crazy one. Christians have higher frequency of sexual intimacy. And you know the saying that couples who pray together stay together. It's true. Research out of the University of Texas at San Antonio have discovered that couples who pray together, divorce rate goes from 50% to one out of every 1,126. That is less than a 1% chance at being divorced. And here's the only thing you have to do in the morning before you go to work, you sit down on the couch and you say, baby, how can I pray for you today? Guys, you, you, want, you, want to make your, you want to make your wife be like, who did I marry? You say this tomorrow morning. You sit down and you say, baby, let me pray for you. And I can guarantee you that your wife is going to be like, we're going back to that church. Because <laughs> this is how it works. You can't look at your spouse and, and, and open heaven over your marriage and then walk away from the marriage. It's just not possible. Because when you put God first and your spouse second, everything else in your life will become blessed. The third thing is this. How, how do you develop or how is your relationship with your kids? Now he's going to move into to, to, to parenting. Here's what he says. He says, children, obey your parents in everything. Esther needs to hear that verse back there in kids' church. She's like, why do I have to have a car seat? Because I love you. That's what. For this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. He doesn't say anything about parents being discouraged. But he says, parents, you better not be discouraging your kids. How is your relationship when it comes to your kids? This is the order. God, marriage, Family, where it gets out of order is when your kids take the place of God or they take the place of your spouse. Listen, kids' hearts are so desiring of attention, they'll take spots one and two. They'll be like, I'll be your God and I'll tell you what to do because I'm the parent now. That's how little kids can be, right? Right? They'll take both spots. And this is the big problem in the church. And in the church, we basically idolize family. We have, a, we have adulterous, we have idolatrous parents who eventually just put their kids on pedestals and worship their kids. And so what we'll say is this, we'll say, you know, baby, I, I, wish, I wish we could do date night, but we can't because that's, that's family night. I, I wish we could go on a vacation, but we can't because we got to bring the kids along with us. Oh, I wish we could be intimate tonight, but Susie's still sleeping in the bed and she's 10 years old. And what happens is that kid begins to take priority over your own spouse. Oh, don't even get me started on the God stuff. You know, pastor, I would love to be able to join a small group, but I can't because, you know, Monday and Wednesday, that's, that's T-ball. Well, we have groups on Tuesday and Thursday. No, Tuesday and Thursday, that's when we have ballet. Well, what about Wednesday night? Can you come first Wednesday prayer? Oh, no, because we're doing homework. Okay, what about Friday? No, can't come on Friday because that's family night. And then what about Saturday? We're going out of town to the lake. Can you come to church on Sunday? No, because that's family time. Listen, your kid 
Your kid, I, I love it. We have, over, we have 100 kids running around in the back right now. But your kid has a 0.4% chance of going pro. But they have a 100% chance of standing before a living and holy God. And as parents, it's our job to train up our children in the ways of the Lord so that when they grow up, they will not depart. Listen, if you teach your kids that church is optional, don't be shocked when they don't think it's relevant. If you're modeling before your kids, church isn't that important. Let's go out of town. Let's miss. It's, let's sleep in on this Sunday. Let's go out to brunch. It's not really that big of a deal. And all of a sudden, it becomes a habit and a routine, and your children are out of church. Don't be surprised and shocked when they turn 18 and they don't go to church when they go to college. You're like, the church failed me. No, you failed them. Because you put your kids in the place of God. God, marriage, children, and kids' hearts will take both places if you allow them to. That's why you're the parent. The best gift you will ever give your kids, you ready? Write this down. It's a great marriage and a good church. It's the best gift you could give your kids. It's a great marriage and a good church. Just recently, me and Ashley went on a two-week vacation. The first week, and there was no children, praise the Lord. Y'all pray for us because we might have came back with one, but I mean, just saying, <laughs> we didn't take one with us. Amen. There's the line. <laughs> all the intercessory prayer team. I'm going to stop right now before I have to fire myself, all right? <laughs> all the guys are like, Baby, I like this church. We're coming back next week. All right, all right. But here's the thing is that I cannot be a good parent unless I'm a good husband. And then I went to the CMN conference where we're getting ministered to by other pastors. There's like 5,000 other church planters. It's a part of our denominational. It's like church for pastors. Why? Because I need to be filled up too. Because our staff and team, we need to be ministered to. The altars were filled every single session. And you better believe me and Ashley were in those altars every single session. Because we cannot give you what we do not have ourselves. Unless I'm a good husband, I will not be a good pastor to you. Unless I'm a good dad, I cannot be a good pastor to this church. I can't do my job unless it's God, marriage, children, work. And you can't do your job when your life is out of order. The best thing you can give your kids is a great marriage and a good church. Esther knows this. I say, God comes first. Mommy comes second. Ruthie, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but my daughters come, come third. You know, this is the way that we operate in our home. Because my little girls are so beautiful and so adorable and they're so precious. And if I make them the center of my life, when they move out of the house, I'm going to be married to a stranger. God, marriage, family. And then I'm going to give a particular word to the men here. He says fathers. Special word just to the fathers. I love that the ladies love Jesus. Overwhelmingly, the majority of our church is women. But there's a spe specific word here when it addresses the dads. It says, fathers, do not, do not discourage your children. Listen, here's what, here's what God is doing. If you're a dad, and if you're gonna be a dad, here's what God's doing. God is sharing his identity with you. 
do not take that lightly. How does God reveal himself? Father. And then what does God through his word call you? He calls you a father. As men, you're sharing the identity of God. He's trusting you with his name, Father. And you know what I've noticed is that my daughters, they're too young to know who God is. But the closest understanding they have to God is me. And that's terrifying. So what does that mean? That means I need to be parented by my Father in heaven if I'm going to be a good dad to my girls. It means I have to love my girls the way that God loves me. I have to listen to them and care for them and pray for them. I have to be able to be there, protect and provide for them. And what that means is that my job as a dad is not just to put a roof over their heads, but to put the word of God in their hearts. As a dad, you have a particular responsibility. I love that the ladies love Jesus, but God has trusted you with his name as a father. And so here's what I know for all the dads in this room. You can do it. I know the rest of the world as men beats you up, tears you down, and tells you that you're the problem with everything in this nation. But God's word says, no, you are made in my image and likeness. You are a man, and I made you that way. And I'm gonna share my identity with you. Now go love that woman and go spend some time with your kids. How's your relationship with God? How's your relationship with your spouse? How's your relationship with your kids? And lastly, the one you've all been waiting for, How's your relationship with your job? <laughs> Here's what it says, bond servants. Let me fill this in. I, I forgot this line. Here's what every child needs to hear. You ready? Jesus loves you. We're proud of you. I'm sorry. And put your shoes on. We're going to church. There you go. <laughs> How are your relationships at your job? Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily for as the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done, and there is no partiality. Now, some of your translations will say slaves. I don't have time to get into it, but I do not think that's a fortunate translation um, because actually some people will read this and say, well, the Bible condones slavery. Actually, 1 Timothy 1.10 specifically says slave trading is a sin and abomination against God. The whole book of Philemon, the very next book, is about welcoming a slave in as a brother. And then even in church history, within the first hundred years, you see that slaves were pastors over their masters. And actually the biblical ethic of, uh, of diversity and inclusion eroded the entire Roman organization of their culture. So it's not about slavery. It's about not slaves and masters. It's really about bond servants and, and their employers. And this is why it says here, when you work, you do so as unto the Lord. That your job is actually an opportunity for you to worship and to honor and to glorify God. Even if you have a bad boss, there's a boss above your boss. His name is Jesus. And he's the one who ultimately signs your paychecks. Okay, when you get this mindset, when you go in, it's going to be able to change the way that you view your work. I love the story that comes out of the Reformation about Martin Luther. He's the great reformer. A man asked him, he said, Martin Luther, I have so much in my life to do. I want to love my wife. I want to be a good dad, but I have to work 60 hours a week. 
What do I do? How do I manage my life? How do I put God first in my life when I spend so much time at work? Anybody have that problem? You're like, I spend 50 hours a week at work, 90 minutes at church. How do I put God first in my life when it feels like my job is taking up all of my time? Here's what Martin Luther said. Luther said this, the Christian the Christian shoemaker does not glorify God by putting crosses on all of his shoes. He glorifies God by making the best shoes that he can. Why? Because we are working not for man, we are working for God. And your work is your witness. As Christians, here's what you need to understand, is that Monday morning is the new mission field. You're at work 40, 50 hours a week. That is your mission field. You don't work for a paycheck, you work for a purpose. And when you go into work every day and you just think, okay, God, I am on mission, I am on assignment here, I am going to a people, and how can I love them? How can I bless them? Can you give me a window of opportunity to share my faith with somebody else? And then as you go in with this mindset, you'll recognize that Monday morning is the new mission field. Your work is your worship. Your work is your witness. Listen, people are watching you everywhere you go. They say, that person goes to Redemption Church. Let me watch the way that they work. That person, they, 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 they post Bible verses on their Facebook. I hear what they say in the office, though. So where do you go to church at? Because I don't want to go there. What is your witness like at work? Because this is how you glorify and you honor God. Monday is the new mission field. I always say this. I say, I don't have the most important job in this church. You know who has the most important job in this church? Ashley does. She has to put up with me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know who has the most important job in this church? You do. You know why? Because you have the potential to reach more people than I ever can. People have to come listen to me. And then I offend them and make terrible jokes and they leave. <laughs> but you know what? They have to come here, but you can go to them. Yeah. See, they won't let me go to the refineries. You know why? I don't have my Twit card. <laughs> they, they won't let me go to the hospitals. You know why? COVID restrictions. But if you're a nurse, you can be about somebody's bedside inspiring hope. They won't let me go to the elementary schools and preach the gospel. You know why? I'm a convicted fellow and I can't pass a background check. <laughs> True story. <laughs> so who is this crazy person walking these halls? But you know what? If you're a teacher, you're an educator, or if you work in the school systems or for the city of Beaumont or for Mid-County, Lumberton, Warren, whatever it is, you have special access to touch children's hearts in a ways that I never could. Whatever it is, if you're working retail, if you're going to college, I can't, I can't go to the university and start and do, have the type of impact that you can when you go back home. I couldn't do that, but you can. You can reach more people with your life than I ever could standing on this stage. But only when we begin to see that our work is a way that we can glorify and honor God. Our work is witness, our work is worship. And with this mindset, God will take your J-O-B and turn it into a J-O-Y. Because you'll begin to develop healthy relationships with those who are around you. How many want to have healthy relationships? You're like, I would love to have a job that I wake up and I'm excited to go to in the morning. 
I would love to be able to have a healthy relationship with my, my spouse or my kids. It starts here by having a healthy relationship with God. Who models healthy relationships better than the Lord Jesus himself? Here, here's what Jesus said during his time on earth. There's a man who ran up to him, and, and he, said, he, said, he said, Teacher, what is the most important thing? And here's what he says in, in Mark 12, verses 20 and 21. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And the second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. We call this the great commandment, but I think another way we might reframe it is this, how to have great relationships, how to have healthy relationships. How do I have healthy relationships? I'll tell you how. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength, and you will be able to love others. Here's what, here's what we say. The more we love God, the more we are able to love others because it's from the love of the Father that every other relationship flows. Love God and love others. This is how relationships become healthy. It starts with the love of God.